Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsports Series 14 episode 15. It is just after 8 o'clock in the UK. I'm John Hindorf. Where I am, it's just after 5 o'clock in the morning because I'm on my way to the High Tech Oils Bathurst 6 hours and currently I'm looking out over Sydney Harbour. Meantime, up in London is our executive producer Tim Gray. Good morning or good evening as it is to you, Tim. Good morning or good evening to you, John, and hello to our listeners as well. Uh, on a packed programme tonight, we have what? We have nearly all of the usual features. <laughs> oh. Okay. Uh, we don't have a big interview, but we do have lots of little ones. Right. Uh, we'll be doing quite a lot on two wheels uh, tonight. Excellent. Uh, and we'll be joined by uh, Nick Damon and by Shay Adam. And hopefully Excellent. by Johnny Palmer. Ooh, even better. Shall I do a bit of housekeeping before we kick off then? Do. I don't mean that literally, obviously, because it's a bit early for me to get the vacuum cleaner out here, the other guests. And there were people uh, who do that with... as well. That's why you're in the hotel. Oh, uh, really? Oh, I've never thought of that. That's a good point. Hello to uh, Brody Flat4, who is uh, not offering any apologies tonight. He says, I'm in the garage putting some finishing touches to the VW Fastback, finally back on the road. Fantastic, and he's put a picture in there as well, and it looks absolutely outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. Uh, That's not what I wanted to do with that. Let me go to full screen, excuse me. Trying to work with uh, equipment I'm not used to. Uh, A number of people uh, earlier on today were talking about the regulations for Le Mans 24 hours, and we will be talking about that later on in tonight's programme. Uh, however, now that I'm back in here, this Cliff Norris says, as an avid ad- advertising fan, it's I find it so annoying when NBC keep interrupting the episodes with five minutes of something called IndyCar. Yes, hmm, know what you mean. Um, hello to Adam Crossfire, who was one of the people who were talking about the new regulations for 2020. Uh, also, hello to Chris Will, who's listening on the podcast. He says, I'm interesting, interested to know, is Jeffrey Boycott entering Le Mans? He said, I did use the phrase corridor of uncertainty with regard to Le Mans to add to the roar of war. Hmm. Hello, Sarah Rigby, who's talking tonight. Uh, David Faulkner says, uh, EFA from now until about the week after Bathurst 1000, when all the clocks change. I'll be catching up on the podcast later on. Uh, Ahead of the six hours this weekend. Yes, David, looking forward to seeing you up there at Bathurst. Partial EFAs from Chris Suku. 
Uh, he's taking a guinea fowl roast with uh, all the trimmings uh, for us this evening. All of a sudden, the bed got louder to me. That I don't know why. Uh, Kevin Payne's got AFA this week. Apologies for absence. Uh, he says, I'm expecting a, the usual lively show. Right turn lover. An evening with his mother. RTL, that is the best thing you could do. Absolutely. Apologies. I accept the catch up on the podcast, won't you? Uh, listening for the first time in a while. Dinner was homemade wood fired pizza. Uh, and that's Tom Hill. Welcome back to Australia, says James. Listening live from my bed this week. Mike Sargent, looking forward to the podcast on his trade wine into work tomorrow. Well, I'm already in your tomorrow, so that kind of and that kind of works. Nook Three Ways was on the menu tonight for Leaf Spring. Very good. Uh, he said, "I forgot to uh, send the FAS last week," <clears throat> and, and I think. We will have to leave it at that. We'll keep them coming in at Specutainment as Tim has something before we head to the news. I don't know what it is about April the 17th, but there are so many birthdays today. Right. Uh, Sir Tim Frank Williams is uh-huh. 77. Yes. Roman Grosjean is 33. Yeah. Nicky Team is 30. Uh, and Fabio Lima is 30. Hmm. So. Uh, All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Uh, and a quick hello to Moni Elysium, uh, who's waving to us, uh, to me rather, down under, tuned in from the Cube. Velocids listening live again from the office desk, Morning Collective. Uh, uh, and hello to uh, Carol Brink as well, who's uh, listening in Monterey, California. Tim, what's the top story this week on Midway Motorsport? Well, I'm going to uh, bring in Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick Damon. Good evening, Tim Gray. Good evening, John Hindoff. Uh, but we're not going Good to start evening. with Formula One. Uh, because there's been some rather important developments at the uh, 24 Hours of Le Mans. Uh, namely, the uh, admission of two more cars onto the entry list. Hello, is your name down? Hello? Is, are, you, are you the plus two? Are you, are you two the plus two? Okay. Yeah, yes, come on. Come on in. We'll find... You can sit at the children's table at the back. That'll be fine. In you come. Right by the door. Yes, yes right by, the by the lavatories, but it's all right. Don't worry. There's a bit of a draft as the Toyotas go by, but it's fine apart from that. <laughs> uh, this is the news that the Le Mans 24 Hours uh, for 2019 will have a record entry as two additional cars from the reserve list have been granted uh, um, an invitation to the world's greatest motor race. And this has been made possible because of some clever logistics by the ACO. Pierre Fion, the president of the ACO, saying that they realised straight away when they had over 70 entry requests, uh, invitation requests for Le Mans this year, that they might have to do something. And whilst the new pit buildings are still somewhere where we're expecting those to be open in 2023 for the 
uh, anniversary, the 100th anniversary of the first 24 hours of Le Mans, which also will mean the press room moving, of course, to the other side of the track. But those those are still some ways away. In fact, they haven't even started on that. Um, so what they're going to do is, it's it's a bit of, I've just realised, Nick, uh, we've been looking for something. I mentioned Corridor of Uncertainty, but this is mine, the gap, isn't it? Because it's the gap between the module sportif and the start of the pit lane. And they're going to put two uh, garages in there, which are described as temporary garages. I don't think it's going to be easy. Oops, I think it'll be something more substantial than that. But, I mean, brilliant and particularly brilliant for the two teams that get in, including the second entry for United Autosports. But there's a few logistical challenges that this is going to bring. Yeah, it's, it's like they've got the lucky lean-to, isn't it? We call it that. Um, the lucky lean-to. Um, yeah, the space where it's going actually is not, empty unused space it's actually quite a busy thoroughfare i mean for simple things like if a car all the cars that come in for demonstrations the historic cars all enter the pit lane from that position it's where the vip car park is it's actually where all the marshals gather um to get their kit and everything else prior to every session it's you know just putting the two garages there is is possible but you're going to have to move where the safety cars park you're going to have to move the way bridge back you're going to have to uh, also think about the ingress and egress and of course it means that Toyota, who've had a lovely time with the first two garages the past several years, which gives an unfettered entry to their uh, pit lane, now actually have to think about having friends next to them. So, um, well, yeah, that's interesting. Nick. Moment. No, that's it's interesting, Nick, because Toyota apparently um, have already said they don't want a two car team in there. They, prov- they would like to have two cars, and ideally two cars from two different classes, if they go, if they're going to have to <clears throat> not take those. Uh, take those garages themselves they could of course apply to have those garages there is there is another slight problem as well which i'm glad to say the team involved is is already um waving away um obviously the two people um the, the two entries that have been granted the invitations one of which is united autosport they already have an entry now tradition dictates that you would put your two entries together however that would mean displacing one of the substantive 60 already entered cars um from a a pit garage and putting it in mind the gap and the uh and there's already been a bit of uh, to and fro about whom that might be and whether they might make a fuss about it. However, United Autosport, playing the game as ever, said, hey, listen, we'll start from the petrol station if we have to. We don't mind splitting our two entries up um, so long as we've got our entry for the race. Although, in fairness, Richard Dean was saying, um, I did notice, was saying, uh, we're now having to redo all the plans that we undid for the, <laughs> the, with six weeks away from Le Mans. But uh, uh, presumably, however... Um, Toyota will be offered those garages if they want them. The question will be, will they want them? There's quite a lot of room behind there, Nick, and it's, it might actually work out. I remember, of course, the, the paddock actually was, you know, ends as a hard point at the, uh, the end of the Toyota garage. So behind it, there is a, a fence and a big drop, actually, uh, into the mm. secondary car park. So, uh, which is the VIP car park, and obviously, more importantly, and the most important uh, function that area actually serves, as as I mentioned on Twitter, is that's where all the pit reporters, Radio Limon, uh, change over and get their new batteries and everything. So that's a that's a key logistical issue that the ACO just haven't considered. I can tell. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, there's a lot of space there, uh, and they won't be using it for the, for the the various other points they have. But my my guess is, I think is your, I think. If Toyota do put down some pressure to try and get two single car teams there, then uh, 
I would assume there'll be people who would normally be up in the row of woe. Um, and is it any worse or any better, to be honest, in pitting rather than pit out? I think possibly it wouldn't be as unpopular as, as you might think, John. It's, it, you certainly, one of the advantage I think you're absolutely right is you have a little bit more space around the back there than you do up on the row of woe, which backs into, um, for want of better, it backs onto the toilets, really, isn't it? Uh, so you have not as much space behind you. Well, I, I think it'll depend what they do. The module sportif, which is the race control building, the, the thing that looks like the saucer of the Starship Enterprise reimagined slightly. Um, and people park behind the back of that. So all the, the, uh, the high up race officials, um, Gerard Naveau, the president of the ACOPF, Fion, all of those people have parking in there. And the, the Navette VIP, the VIP shuttles, all go in and out of there as well. So it will depend how they structure that. I guess we'll see when we get to, sorry, I suppose we will see when we get to to test weekend and Mobile One, Radio Le Mans, still the only broadcaster uh, to bring you full live coverage of test. And I suppose we'll see how it, how it works then. As for the other logistics that you mentioned, uh, Nick, um, there are other options for getting cars on and off the track. Um, most notably, since the, um, for the last few years, they've brought them on way down the circuit from the um, the back of the Bugatti circuit. Yeah, they, they have crept um, a few in from there, haven't they? Yeah. The, I remember the, the, the pretend Alpine that never turned out to be the Alpine actually was kind of was misfiring overheating underneath us a few years ago. Mm, mm, yes, correct. That's right. But now that they haven't got the double-decker um, TV uh, booths there, there's no reason why they can't come in and out through the back of the TV compound or at least somewhere a little bit further down towards the Corvette corner or even one of the areas uh, at Porsche Curse, which is where they bring in some of the support races, don't they? And everybody trundles their pit gear down into the pit lane from from in, um, oh, what's where, where are all those hospitality units um, on the right, on driver's right as you come out of the Porsche Curse? What's that called again? Raccordamon, Raccordamon, uh, that's where they, they bring them in. Anyway, it's good news. I don't care what anybody says. I will that's hear right. nothing of it. It's it's really clever use of the space by the ACO. Uh, their team have worked tirelessly and quickly to come up with the solution, and it puts another couple of cars into the race. Good for them. And I think almost certainly the entire drive to this, because they suddenly realised they made a major mistake not giving United all the sport two entries considering the support they give to all their series around the world. It was sending out a very bad, very bad message. United were only third on the reserve list, though. So by adding two new garages, United have only got in because someone higher on the uh, entry on the reserve list, which I think was Spirit of Race, have already withdrawn. Uh, that was Duncan that was two, Cameron. That was three or four weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah, Duncan, Duncan Cameron um, has a clashing family event. Um <laughs> Really? Not over it. Really? Come yeah. Do we, do we, we're not being funny, but I can't think of any family event that would stop me driving at Le Mans offhand. <laughs> Apart from my funeral, obviously. Uh, <laughs> it, really. uh, and that was, that's not an event that, um, that, that you would be bothered about anyway. That's just for the rest of the family. Or I'd be, um, I'd be planning 10 weeks in advance either. Right, you might exactly. be. You can always put it off, though. <laughs> Um, yes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Tim, um, that uh, that was the case. Um, however, so um, they're in. Well done. 
uh, what's my next question? Uh, Toyota obviously get first choice of uh, which garages yes, to do. use. Uh, how does it work beyond that? Does it then filter down through the other P1 teams, or does it go last year's winners in other classes first? That's a very good question that I honestly don't know no the idea. answer to. I was hoping one of you would know that. No, that's a kind of, but we we, we need someone much more statistically minded than that. I, I I just thought they got given them. I didn't know they chose at all. Um, I, I mean, obviously the ones with lots of money would say I'd like you know when, when Audi wanted their certain ones because Audi just chose those ones which were pit exit, and then when they built the row of row of whoa, they weren't pit exit, but they stayed in them anyway. That the, I think you're allowed to request, you know, sort of, you know, in years gone by when Aston Martin have had five entries, you're allowed to request them together, whether you get them or not, is contingent on a variety of circumstances, um, including whether you're taking the uh, pit hospitality above them. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I would, what I'd expect is that the WEC full season entrance would get first choices, and then everyone else fits in around that. But it's a fair point, Tim, as to, you know, last year's winners, et cetera, et cetera. It, it has been, in fairness, and in fairness to United, whether or not they have to split their cars. I mean, the obvious answer to this, by the way, is United go in those two garages. And then they've got, they, they were the one that's benefited from it, and therefore... Have we lost John? Yes, I, I think it's it, 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 back. Sorry, Shigun. Uh, we lost you briefly, but you're back. Okay. Um, yeah, whether whether or not they choose to take those two garages and therefore not inconvenience anyone who was on the substantive list beforehand, that would be that would be up to them. Um, but that would solve the problem most elegantly. What we don't know because we haven't seen any visuals of this, is what the garages will look like and whether there is a slight advantage or disadvantage to being there. Toyota have always maintained, Pascal Vassalon, absolutely, the quiet man that he is, one of the things he has always been, and Nick, you've interviewed him on this before, he has always been absolutely sure and certain that there is a, there's an advantage of getting a straight run into your pits. Of course there is. Uh, and more importantly, an uninterrupted run, because the problems come not on standard stops when you've unfortunately got someone parked in the, in the previous garage and you will come in at an angle yeah. you don't want to be at and you're going you know it'll cost you two to three seconds either you'll come in pointing in or the wrong way will have to go slightly over the the, uh, the the boxes and they are quite tight now i expect that again it's likely they'll have a little bit of extra space because they aren't going to literally buttress up to the to the wall i wouldn't think they'll have a couple of feet so they might get a slightly bigger a box space still for the for uh to they have the old white positions one and two so i expect they'll stay there but they'll be less pleased but let's be honest it's not going to cost them the four laps they 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 lead they start with so let's see if, what, what else will take them out <laughs> chris suku has tweeted at spec entertainment and said why don't you have pits on both sides of the main straight then you could double the entry oh my god can you imagine having to work out who was in which pit lane and how many pit lane reporters we'd have to have but you'd only need twice as many pit lane reporters. Yeah, which yeah. we can't have because we can't get the frequencies for the radio mics. Well, in that case, just have one in each pit lane. Yeah. A bit like we do at Silverstone. Yes, with half the number of cars. Uh, while we're talking about Le Mans, there is a WEC race ahead of Le Mans, which is the six hours of Spa. 
Yes. And the yeah. final entry list for that has been published uh, this week. Um, it doesn't feature the Janetta as uh, no one expected <coughs> it to. Uh, no. But by collars are back. And uh, now with their Gibson engine. And they've made yeah. some driver changes. Right. Uh, Tom Dillman was already in the car and they've added Ollie Webb and Paolo Ruberti. Ollie Webb's driven them loads of times. Yes. Um, I must admit, my, my knowledge of WC isn't strong enough to know if Roberti's been with them or not. Um, uh, Roberti's a former Ferrari driver, isn't he? Who made the step up into uh, P2. And I, I think he did pretty yeah, good raced, stuff, to be honest. Raced uh, GT cars for Ferrari. Um, um, and well, the G-Drive... Uh, Car with new name uh, would also be uh, taking yeah, part and, and in this, that. This irks me. Um, actually, no, it doesn't irk me. It confuses me. Now, many people, including my dear wife, would say that doesn't take very much. <laughs> However, um, and we've talked about this on this program before, um, about the anomaly that is Alpine in an LMP2 class mm. that is expressly forbidden from having any manufacturer involvement or indeed any manufacturer sponsorship. You cannot put the name, you cannot even put the name of a manufacturer on your car in LMP2. Certainly those were the regulations and I've seen nothing to suggest that that's been changed. Now, Alpine, Alpine, um, at the time when they became a quote-unquote chassis manufacturer, of course they're not, they just put a secondary chassis plate onto the Oreca uh, chassis as they come out from Hughes lot. Um, however, they weren't producing street cars, road cars, when that happened. However, this new manufacturer is, and not only are they putting their name on the car, but they're allowed to be the entrant in the same way as Alpine is. Can somebody please explain? Listen, I am... If the rules have changed, then fine. And actually, I think it's a very good thing to have manufacturer involvement in LMP2. It's one of the things that I thought was missing from the current set of LMP2 regulations to allow OEMs, original equipment manufacturers, car manufacturers, to dip their toes in the water. But please, somebody tell me where in the regulations it's changed or whether it's been one of these undercover waivers that just really do nothing for the sport. Actually, it's not only do the new do nothing for the sport, it disrespects the rule makers and it disrespects the sport if you do undercover waivers. I just want to know where we stand on it so that, you know, if any particular manufacturer that I might be talking to wants to go and sponsor a car at the moment, we can't stick a bunch of money on an LMP2 car. Do you think there's a difference uh, based on the scale of the manufacturers? I mean, we talk about Alpine and Norris, which are not large-scale uh, large volume car manufacturers in the way that Peugeot or Lamborghini are. But it doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't say, yeah. it doesn't say small French manufacturers or limousine manufacturers uh, based in Russia. It, you know, it, 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 there's, there's, no, there's nothing, again, as far as I'm aware, um, because we have stumbled across this in the past where there are several different types of regulations. This is part of the sporting regulations, so this is not technical regulations. This is part of the sporting regulations, which, as, as far as I'm aware, have not changed. Um, and I, really, just somebody talk to me about it, or at least 
get it out there. Um, it, it's Roman Rusinov, who we know isn't backwards in coming forward. Uh, he's used his connections with G-Drive, the Russian uh, petroleum company in the past. Um, the Putin limousine manufacturer that Tim mentioned is supposedly going to be launching some cars into uh, Europe. Uh, but at the moment, pretty much, I think, 95% of all the cars they've built have gone into the Special Operations Department for the Russian government. Um, they're an interesting-looking thing, I'll say that. Um, possibly not your cup of tea, Nick. What, a limousine? No, I'm not. I'm not. You know, you, you wouldn't find me in something big and, and heavy and overpowered. No, of course not. And supercharged. No, not at all. Exactly. No, 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 never. Not going to happen. Uh, the other bits and pieces uh, from the list, Tim, pretty much as we expected from the entry list? Uh, yeah, we've got uh, no Johnny Adam, but we do have a Ewan Hankey replacing him in the number 90, Aston Martin. Yeah. Um, and uh, no Julian Andlauer in the 77 Porsche. He's been replaced by Ricardo Pera. Right, I'm just Christian Reed's there, so his unbroken yep. uh, run continues. continues in the 77 Proton Racing Car. That was the one that I looked for straight away, and of interest to people in my neck of the woods, Matt Campbell, of course, uh, is in the Dempsey Proton uh, Car with Christian Reed, and who's the other driver in that? Ah, Ricardo Pera, of course. Uh, so that is when is when is Spa? It's next month, by the way. Oh, next month, so that's quite a long way out. Okay. Well, three Last weeks. final two and a half weeks. Penultimate round of the series, of course, and then we can get rid of this transition series and get cracking on the school year series uh, when we get to Silverstone in September. Yes. <laughs> uh, we'll come back and do a little bit more uh, non-European sports cars later on. Uh, okay. But for now, let's move on to Formula One. Hooray! <laughs> Why am I playing that, Nick? I know, I know what it was. I, I, I was just trying to get to what the song was. I was going, oh, um, white lines don't lie. White lines, yeah, white lines. Yeah. Who wasn't happy with a white line? It was young Mr. Valtteri Bottas, the new improved. Don't give a Valtteri Bottas because he got wheel he spin. On, uh, wheel spin, yes. Well, that's his excuse anyway. Um, yeah, I mean. That was that for the for, for about two out of three races. That that's what's decided the the eventual winner is um, the second place man on the grid getting a slightly better run than the leader. All of them being at that, those two races, Mercedes, and then disappearing off into the distance uh, to take a a happy little win. And uh, so after the uh, predictions prior to the season that Ferrari are all over Mercedes, it's been a Mercedes one, two, three times in a row, and. After our <laughs> predictions that Ferrari was still rubbish uh, tactically, uh, they have been. Uh, for our, uh, not Ferrari, uh, we haven't had a pole sitter win a race yet this year, Nick. Um, no, no, we've had one breakdown, two bad starts. So um, I've no idea. The Baku tends to be a crazy race, so it might not might, might continue for a while. But um, uh, yeah, but the, the, actually, hasn't the person starting second won all of them? Yes. So uh, yeah, so that's now that the, the obviously that's the charm is to start second or. They should yeah, say anything where they insist on turning, changing the, the pole position side over. Obviously, they've cho- chosen the wrong side. 
Can I just but, say I predicted uh, all of this? Yeah, go on. All of it. I predicted all of this. Okay. I said, said it, it was. I did. I did say that. Uh, and I so, said so, it again. Sorry. Sorry. There's no time. Is there not? No time to say that. Okay. Fine. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where are we going? Uh, Ferrari shooting themselves yeah. in the foot again. Indecision. Oh, Indecision is your enemy in motorsport. It doesn't matter. Sometimes you just have to make your mind up um, and then stick with what you've got. But but vacillating about it um, is just the worst thing to do. I mean, the letting Fettel past uh, Charles Leclerc in the first few laps was not necessarily a bad idea. But by the time they'd wasted it, uh, wasted so long, it was a bad idea because in dropping back the two seconds to let Fettel past who then couldn't build a gap, he fell into the clutch of the undercut of, um, of of Max Verstappen, which wouldn't have happened. They could have both avoided it if they actually kept going in the space they were. And there's this kind of concept at the moment. I, I, I don't quite understand. Obviously, within Ferrari, Sebastian Vettel is doing something he doesn't do to the wider public because they have this unerring belief that he's absolutely blooming marvellous. And I don't believe that anybody <laughs> believes he's been blue in Mars since 2013. So they're saying, we believe we had the six-year-ago, um, you know, blown diffuser Sebastian Vettel. And we all go, no, you've got the bloke who's quite good at qualifying and, and can lead the race. But other than that, he's pretty, pretty average. So why are you thinking when he gets past, he's going to go and suddenly massively pull out on Charles Leclerc? And in fact, he even made a couple of mistakes. So I, I, I don't, this blind devotion to Sebastian... Um, where he hasn't backed it up with any great performance um, is a little bit surprising. And you kind of think at some point, it, it kind of for once shows that kind of concept of letting the first few races play out and then deciding might have been a better idea than just favouring Sebastian. Because at this point, if they'd done that, they'd probably they'd be closer to Lewis because Leclerc, who's currently a point behind uh, Fettel, who's been allowed to go past in Austra- Australia and allowed to go past in... Um, uh, in China. Uh, China, he would be about six points closer to Lewis. But you know, I'm not. I'm not a multi-million-pound-paid manager of Ferrari, so what do I know? I'd imagine that uh, the reason they've got so much blind faith in Sebastian Vettel is uh, related to his salary. Well, that's a very bad reason to have. A, I don't think paying someone's a reason to have a, a blind faith. They, they've been paying him that much because when they signed the contract two years ago, he seemed to be on up. He's since shot himself in the foot on 71 occasions. There's plenty of American football teams and plenty of baseball teams who realize they have to bench the $20 million star in the last year of their contract because he's just not doing it anymore. Um, I'm not saying they should bench Vettel, but they should at least wait and find out who's most likely to, to take the fight to Mercedes rather than... You know, they even made another mistake on in this one. As soon as, as Gasly came in the pits with three laps to go, they should have put they should have put Leclerc in the pits, and to get. But they were worried about taking the point off Vettel the fastest lap. But it's obviously Gasly was going to get it. No one's reading these races. It's not difficult. It's not difficult to work out that if you have two laps, you can get a fastest lap with brand new tyres when you're running six seconds behind. And you kind of think, right, what are you not seeing that we all are? Who, you know, who does Sebastian Vettel blame for all of this? Lewis Hamilton. No. Being too fast, it's not fair. No, Mercedes blame being too fast, it's not fair. Or Mercedes. The press. Yes, we are to blame, Nick. You and me. Yeah. Well, you know, people who blame the press tend to be trying to protect, to defend the indefensible. And I'll only talk about leaders of the free world in many countries who blame the press for the problems that they've caused. Let's hear what uh, Sebastian had to say. He said... 
Let's put it this way. I knew the moment it was happening I'd have to face these questions. I'm not sure I want to answer because I'm a little bit against the way that you, all of you, work because you take bits out of answers here and there and put it into the wrong light. And obviously I'm not doing that because I'm reading his full answer. So if you ask me again in half an hour down in the paddock, maybe I'll give you a straightforward answer and you don't write it down or record it. It seems the way that not maybe all of you, but some of you are working. I felt I was faster in the car. I was asked if I can go faster. I answered as I felt I could. I was a bit surprised when I was in free air. Well, not surprised, but I was struggling a bit to put the laps together. Once I found the rhythm, I think I was able to chip away. But obviously the objective was to try and catch Mercedes. At that point, the gap was obviously quite big. Last week, or two weeks ago, Charles was faster, and it was quite straightforward. Maybe a bit easier to pass in Bahrain. But I think the upsetting thing after this race is that we didn't manage to finish third and fourth. Obviously, I want to be ahead of Charles. He wants to be ahead of me. That's the name of the game. I'm not keen to expand much further, because it's always a bit difficult, especially when you make out what you make out of the answer afterwards. So keep it there. That is extraordinary. That is absolutely extra and fair play to you tim for reading it all out but my goodness me his head's gone his head's he's gone, gone. i mean well, it, it, paranoia has kicked in <coughs> that's i mean all right if that's just in that moment and he drags it back which come on he's, he's got plenty of that experience that, that was quotes not just from the post-race uh press conference but also uh the ferrari own press conference which happened about 45 minutes later in their motorhome right here's, okay. a, here's a question well, right that's so he he gets told on the radio right we're going to let you through past charles so in his already notably fuzzy head which we know he has um rather than just thinking right i need to get my head down and uh bung these laps and he's already thinking about his response to the questions he's going to be asked after the race which might actually be a reason why he snatched a break twice and actually ruin most of the advantage he could get by being ahead in free air you know he's not we know he's not got as big a spare mental capacity as some other drivers that's obvious he's not you know so does he need it being taken up with worrying about what he's going to say to the press in an hour's time can I can I can I just say one thing who was more petulant then um was it um, was it Vettel and what he was saying there, petulance and paranoia, or was it Verstappen um, with the, of course, there's an unwritten rule that uh, after the last corner, nobody passes. And Lewis responded to that, uh, no. Well, this, he qualified. I thought it was very it, it, The reason with that was that was, that was a collective mistake by about four different cars who just didn't team sorry didn't realize in their cars out so close to the cutoff yes. point that when everyone was playing silly bees to get some space um they were going to miss the cutoff the mercedes sent theirs out right at the front so they knew they'd be fine i think they, they, they were yeah. first two out and they, they made a little space and off they went all right they passed the line 30 seconds before the other cars but it wasn't evolving that fast the track Back to Vettel then, Nick. Um, so those comments that Tim have, have just read out, not just the work of a moment. Um, so, I mean, he's got to get his head back. I, I said earlier, and I've spoken to a few drivers who have said exactly the same, that they think his head's going to explode this year. They think that he's not going to cope with this Leclerc thing very well indeed. Le- Leclerc is a team player to a point. There's no doubt about that. But he's not doing his reputation any harm at all. Um, he's proving to be exactly what we thought he would be, a quick driver and someone who would put pressure on the old guard. Um, I know that 
Vettel's got two more seasons to go, this one and one more, on his contract. But I'm still saying this is Vettel's last season. I'm saying this is Vettel's last season. And if he can't pull himself together before in, in the next couple of races, he can't be... I mean, that that's just not healthy for him or for the team, is it? What he said there. No, it's, it, I mean, I, in fairness, what he did in the weekend was uh, qualify third, which was the best the car could qualify. It wasn't because of the Mercedes. And finish third, which is the best the car could finish. Um, unfortunately, because he had a problem by being stuck behind Bottas at the start, he then ended up... Um, uh, in fourth behind Leclerc and all this mucking about happened. And then, of course, Ferrari loused up the rest of Leclerc's strategy. So they didn't come third and fourth. So suddenly, glaringly, it appears that Fettel's done something. You know, he's robbed the uh, young lad of a position and then another position for Ferrari. And all, all these questions turn around. And he'd be better off, really, just not answering those questions and going, you know, it's, it's mm. a matter for the team. And just, and just, but by over-explaining in such a, such a strange way, yeah, it's absolutely a window on his on his mindset, and and he, for for all his sunny uh, persona, he often has in interviews and his, and his comedy moustache and everything else. He you know he's he is feeling a lot of pressure that has nothing to do to driving the car. Hmm. Let's move on to Toro Rosso. Uh, two very different experiences for its drivers. Alex Albon started at the back and was driver of the day. Uh, he was brilliant. Danny Kvyat uh, started near the back, uh, was given a drive-through penalty, and then whinged about it. I agree with him. Totally agree with him. Um, what did he get the penalty way... for, Nick? I didn't see the risk. He, he came round. He came round corner two. You know, you know how it's an ever-tightening corner in um, in China, the first corner, John. He got yeah, a twitch of oversteer. Had to steer into it. Moved him across the lane. He he tagged uh, Carlos Sainz, and then. Uh, Lando Norris is rejoin, rejoining from two thirds off the track. Uh, they had an, an, uh, a single seater interlocking wheels moment, and Lando went up on you know, to forty-five degrees on the side. That oh, yes, was that, at, that was at the start, and he got a twitch. He wasn't being silly. He got a twitch. You could see it. And yes, he hit both the cars. And yes, it was really unfortunate. And yes, but drive through. I mean, people, the most avoidable collisions is a five-second edge of pit stop. He got a 21-second, effectively, um, wow. penalty in the first few laps. It was, it was, you know, fine. If you think he's responsible, it wasn't deliberate. It wasn't reckless. He's got the was that first corner, did you say, Nick? 10 seconds. Second, you know, first and lap. it was... And you sit there, and there were two cars spun on the warm-up lap because they just couldn't get the temperature into the tyres on the track. So having a bit of an oversteer moment in corner two... I just, I just think it's unfair, and I, I really hope it wasn't because it's Danny Kvyat, and, and last time round he got a silly nickname for hitting Fettel twice in 2017. So I just hope that wasn't anything to do with it. Um, no, over the top, frankly. Um, yeah, admittedly he, he ruined Norris's race, but hey ho, and uh, it's just unfortunate. And Alex Albon, um, who I if you remember I said was going to be best rookie. In our in our no, other in our predictive word, uh, carries on looking really 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 impressive. And uh, he's obviously he's got the love of the common people as well, which is fantastic. Um, and uh, a nasty accident for him. Uh, team effort to get the car back on the grid after FP3, and he repaired them with tenth position. Um, you know you got, you, you got your Britpop mixed up, don't you? Oh, did I did. They get them the wrong way around. Disco two thousand. Like Alex Albon is not part. He's not part of Pulp. It'd be Damon Albon from Blur. Blur. All right. He lives in the country house. Go for that one. A, a very big house. Very nice in house in the country, yeah. In a very big country. <laughs> yeah. 
See, that tells you how early it is. See, I've not had a cup of coffee yet this morning. <laughs> oh, no. Nightmare. You told me an hour ago that you'd uh, just come back from making yourself a coffee. Have you not drunk it yet? No, I said I was going to go and make a cup of coffee. I had a shower to wake myself up instead. Um, I'm, See, I'm that's where you're wrong. Breath. Clean's one thing, but caffeine's way more important. <laughs> Possibly not. Possibly not. Uh, moving on. Um, uh, we talked about fastest lap, the extra point, the point after. Um, Gasly snagged that, didn't he? Yeah, uh, with a very unremarkable lap where he apparently just ran. To the, he didn't even try and go, go as fast as he could. He just ran to the delta, which is why he beat it by, beat it by a tenth of a second because he was just going the speed he, he needed to go. Um, yep, yeah, that was the a little light patch on a slightly better performance, but still on a like-for-like strategy, he was would have been 30 to 35 seconds behind Verstappen at the end, and that's not really where you need to be uh, if as you're gonna, the number two Red Bull driver. Yeah. If you're going to have a point for a fastest lap, and it's going to happen towards the end of the race, or indeed on the last lap, then um, having built up all this expectation about it, you need to cover it on the television, even if you only cover it graphically, because... <laughs> It, Did you see the TV? Compl- I, I saw the last it three laps, the last four, five worst, laps. It was the worst broadcast I remember seeing in 10 years. They were cutting back to whip pans. They were getting the, I, yeah. I, you kind of get the impression they, they were having some technical issues. But apparently, yeah. if you actually watch the, the, the cut that was on the app, the F1 app, uh, that was perfect. And I didn't really have different cuts on the two machines. Or perhaps that, that was the problem. They were showing a, a wrong cut. But there were so many shots that made no sense. Um, mainly going from uh, corner two back to the main straight for no discernible reason. To follow, I don't know, the, the second Haas, which is in 12th place for no reason. It seems to be the difference or- between people taking the HD feed and people taking the UHD feed. The UHD feed being the one that had lots of weird cuts in it. I was, oh, really? yeah, I, was, I was watching the HD feed, but I suppose that would be the UHD feed so Sky could upscale it. Downscale. Good point, well made. Whatever. Moving uh, on. <laughs> Williams. You mean Team Awful Williams? Uh, might become Team Awful Marzipan soon. Oh, is Nikita really? taking over, is he? Uh, well, dad not Nikita, was... but his dad, Dimitri. But they, haven't they already got the money from Queen Latifah? <laughs> oh dear Nicholas Latifi um, were they slightly less team awful Williams are we still going to have to leave a 1.2 second gap between them and everybody else they were still a long way behind and Kubica went on a ridiculous one stop strategy that was never going to work yeah it, there, there was a kind of a because um... he couldn't keep up with people while he uh was on his long first stint um, and obviously fell even further behind after his pit stop. I don't know why they just didn't go for a three-stopper. That would have been the just obvious stick, thing on Stick do. your tyres the whole time and see what happens. What's the worst mm-hmm. that can happen? You're either going to finish 19th or 20th. Give it a go. You might finish 16th. Mm. There is it going is to, to, to be a crazy race for them even to get a point. Remember, they, they did uh, get a podium finish less than three years ago. At Baku. At Baku. Crazy race. Do you know what? It just, it just hurts me. It hurts me. It really does. Um, we, we've said this before. You know, I know we're making 
light of it. Of course, we are um, in in some respects because if we if I actually think about this seriously, it I I I feel slightly bilious. I feel slightly sick about it because I I just can't. It's 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 not just Nick that they're not doing very well. I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel for Williams and. They just don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the commercial side of things. I I I can't see it getting better anytime soon. Maybe and the light at the end of the tunnel will come from a Belarusian uh, chemical billionaire. It's not money, though, Tim. It's not money. It's not. They've it's got not, plenty of money. It's, it's, I don't it's think they've the, ever got plenty of money in Formula One. Nobody has plenty of money. You'll just they've keep got spending. enough to be way better than this. They've got more. They've got more money than Racing Point had, and, and probably have for this year, and they're nowhere near them. They're still getting um, money from uh, Lance Stroll, even though he's driving for his dad's team now. And they get, and they get historically important money because, of course, they were the last team to win th- have three one twos at the start of the season. John, that was nineteen ninety two. Yes, which is the last time a team did that. Yes, I seem to remember all of those as well because that was the days when I planned my whole life about when the Grand Prix Nigel, was on at the weekend. Nigel's year, wasn't it? Yes, it um, was. But yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I think it comes. The, the point about Williams, and let's be really honest about this, well, is they have the wrong person running the team. Mm, I, is it just that though? I, I, and listen, I'm not by no means am I, uh, you know, defending what's going on at Williams because it's indefensible. Um, but it's not just that, Nick. They've made a series of very odd decisions. They've got which have um, come from where the top. Oh no! But hang on, she doesn't. Claire Williams doesn't draw the car. They went down a complete blind alley on a couple of concepts with their aero. They've had a bit of a light night of the long knives, but not enough. It's good. This season is already a write-off for them. They need to write this season off and start planning for next year right now. They have to do that. The problem being, if they have as bad a year as they're having and it doesn't get any better, how the heck do you have any opportunity at all to attract attract investment and the right people to it well, unless they think they can make a difference? Currently, they're just, they're just attracting the fathers of the rich fathers of racing drivers and, and who knows it may be that you know Russell's contract isn't worth the paper it's written on and you'll end up with um, Nicholas Latifi and Nikita Marzipan in the car next year they're both, I think they've both got enough points to do that and they'll they'll, they'll run a wave of cash um, you know I, I think that the realistic I think you're being too generous because I think the, the, the board are responsible for all these issues they haven't invested in, in the correct manner they haven't moved with the times properly um, they're stuck in a, a racing model that has been outdated since 2002, 2004, and they haven't got the agility to move, and they need different people mm. making the decisions. I don't really care who, what the job titles are, but they need different people making the decisions, and, and the nepotism didn't work. And they should have, and, and that's the thing. And, and, you, and you need to make changes, and changes need to be made are at the absolute top. I mean, look at you know, McLaren are now on the way on the way back up again. But think of the, you know, the people they had to get through to get out of their slump. Uh, okay, thank you, Nick. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 14, Episode 15 uh, at Specutainment. Dave Alcock says what you're saying about Williams is right. Their performance is tragic. I remember Keki Rosberg, Alan Jones, Nigel Mansell, the FW07 and FW8 were legendary machines. Sad to see what's happening today. Um, your thoughts on Williams and on Formula One, also on the Le Mans extra uh, daily double, um, <laughs> the lucky pair, whatever we're going to call it. I think it's a lucky lean to. I'm liking that one already. 
Lucky Lean Two. It's already been taken up, I'm afraid. Yeah, so you might you might have that. Um, at spec your team in, please, for that. But uh, Tim, as we know, loves a bit of calendar news. So let's have a bit of calendar news. Oh, this is uh, preemptive calendar news. Uh, because uh, at some point in the future, there might be a second Chinese Grand Prix on the calendar. Yes, a street race. Yes. Oh, God. Given given the quality of air in most of the streets, though, I, I wonder whether the engines are run properly, because it's mostly running on pollution and not much of much oxygen. So, uh, Sean Bratches yep. said, uh, we'd be highly interested in a street race. It would be a nice juxtaposition to the purpose-built extraordinary facility we have here in Shanghai. Our intent is to bring our show to the people. Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, they 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 have got some issues. It, it, it you know, the, the calendar is a is a problem for them. They've not managed to bring in these uh, big new events they've wanted to do. They're now back in a situation where they are negotiating heavily with the European venues. It looks like the European venues are going to at least get a score draw, if not an away win, as far as the pricing is concerned. So you know, they they realise what they need to do, and they want to bring on to get this twenty five races. People aren't queuing over themselves. They've had issues with Miami, Vietnam is going to happen but at the same time they're probably going to lose one of the European races and stick with 21 which I think is a good thing I think we should have more about 17 or 18 but I'm old fashioned uh, 18 enough quickly going back to uh, Daniel Kriat uh, yes he also had an engine change on a Friday I believe that makes him the first uh, driver to be onto his second engine already this season I thought someone got changed after a problem. I didn't Carlos Sainz get a new engine after the first race. Oh, he might have done. I, I, I might just he might just got an MG UK. Um, yeah, well, of course, Alexander Albon got a new engine as well after his big accident in FP3. Yes. Um, but let's be honest, Honda like changing engines in the uh, in the uh, Toro Rosso. They changed about 412 of them last year. And um, but yeah, of How's course, that um, news? There's... <laughs> <laughs> no, we've moved on from that. Uh, was one other piece of Daniel Kvyat news as well, isn't there? Is that? I don't know. What's the third piece? Tell me more. Is he getting married? Uh, no, but his girlfriend Kelly PK, yes, daughter what, really? of really, is oh, pregnant. Right, okay. He's what? With a baby, having a baby. Oh, she's with child. She's not the PK that does those video reports, is she? No, no. They get everywhere PKs, don't they? Well, Nelson PK had on. seven children, didn't he, by four different women or five different women? Moto GP next. Yes. Well, as we told you, foregone conclusion, never in doubt, Mark Marquez was going to fall off. That's not what you said. <laughs> no. And I said how... a pink fluffy cat was going to crawl onto the circuit at some stage and knock off the leader. Mm. Yeah, I'm that was in Moto2, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's one, of the, it, you know, let's be really honest about this. It's one of those cases where I was wearing my surprised face uh, when that happened. Um, yeah, I mean, Mark dominated the entire weekend, um, dominated the first, I can't remember how, 12 laps or 11 laps, and then lost it in a very strange way coming into, I don't know which turn number it is at. Uh, at uh, Cota at the end of the, the end of the long straight, and then couldn't restart the bike, which normally they can do. So um, just end up from a certain twenty-five in a massive lead, getting absolutely nada, which was uh, a real surprise. I was going to say turn 12. twelve. It is twelve, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
And that left us with the thrilling uh, sight. We all thought of a 40-year-old man winning a motorcycle Grand Prix until a young and wiry-haired um, man uh, called Alex Rins, who I actually dismissed last week whilst uh, Declan was being very positive about him, so is what I know, uh, put in a superb last five or six laps to uh, to take the victory for Suzuki. It's Suzuki's first win since um, Vinales left. I think their first win for nearly three years. Um, and, and well-deserved. And it now means that um, uh, the championship is being led by a man who qualified 13th and still got through to fourth, which is uh, De Vivioso. And um, I think Rossi's now... Is Rossi second or was he third? I can't remember. I've got the thing in front of me. He's second overall. Alex Rins is third overall on points. And Mark Marquez has dropped down to fourth. Of course, if you don't finish one of the early races, it makes a, a bigger difference. But it's, uh, yeah, 54 points for Andrea Vioso and the Ducati, 51 for Valentino on the uh, Yamaha and Alex Rins, 49 points um, in Suzuki. And of course, the big the other thing, which is quite, we had two jump starts, not just one, but two jump starts. Did you see those bits, John? <laughs> no, I didn't see any. I didn't see they, any of Moto GP, they, I'm afraid. They, they made it very sure to show us the replay. So they, they had the whole thing planned this time after the uh, last time. They basically said he got a penalty. And when the bloke, as the bloke was driving up the uh, pit lane, serving his penalty, they showed the ISO camera with the jump start on it. It was very well done. And they were both jump starts. Excellent. Uh, where are they off to next? Um, no, I think it's, it, obviously this is a very, very good thing for the championship. but doesn't change the fact that Mar- Marquez is going to win at a canter. No. Uh, let's Where are they off to next, Nick? Oh, guess. Before we move on. Uh, somewhere in Spain. Correct. Obviously. Excellent. <laughs> it's, isn't it? it's, actually, it's actually the real one. It's actually the one called the Spanish Grand Prix. Not the Catalonian Grand Prix. Not the European Grand Prix. Not the Valencia Grand Prix. Uh, it's actually the one called the Spanish Grand Prix. Uh, moving on. Uh, World Superbikes. Yes. It was uh, in the All snow basin. All change World Superbikes. Yeah. Mainly because really? they didn't have, didn't have three races, John. Didn't have three races because the first race got snowed off. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, Ashton had the same snow as Nürburgring. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Geographically interesting, that. Well, yeah. We also, we kind of, now, in the, in the first of the races, um, uh, some guy called, oh, Alvaro Batista won it. And oh, really? some bloke called Janay Ray was second. And yeah. I think it was Marco van der Mark who came in third. As, as Yamaha's traditionally have to come third, as we know now. Um, but in the second oh, race... Aston always, always normally turns up a, an odd result, though. So surely there was an odd result in race two. We've already had that in race one, though. <laughs> With Bautista winning, hardly. No, <clears throat> Snow winning. Ah, Snow right. won. But in the race two... There was a massive upset, John. A massive upset. Because Alvaro Bautista won again and made it 11 on the spin. But Johnny Ray didn't make it 11 second places. He came third by about one hundredth of a second because Marco van der Mark got second in the second race. So we have had a break of our runs of the same first and second. Um, But yeah, um, not much change. And Bautista didn't look any much slowed down by the 250 revs he'd lost, to be honest, as this was the track which they always thought the Ducati be more vulnerable on than the others. So Bautista now has to stay on the bike for the rest of the season and perhaps he can win every single race. Who described Assen as a uh, very disappointing weekend? Oh, I don't know. Leon has them. Uh, no, Chance Davis. 
Mm. He, did, he didn't do that badly. He was, he, he, he was in second at one point in race two, but he did a fade after that. But, um, yeah. He's uh, still not fit, is he? He's getting close now. I think now he's just trying to get the bike to work for him. Did you watch the uh, Super Sport race? No, I watched so much motorsport this week that I had you had to say no to some of it. I've, I've, I, I, for once, you know, our normal conversation. Did you see this? I say, no, yep, saw that, saw that, saw that, saw that. You know, but uh, I didn't see the Super Sport race. Uh, Manuel Gonzalez was the winner of that one. Excellent. Uh, where is World Superbikes going next? Uh, they are going to Italia, to Imola, which is a lovely track and also track. very pretty this time of year with the, with the, cause, well, the time of year they get there, which is a couple of weeks' time, because normally the blossom is falling. It's like very big white, but like snow again, but luckily warm snow. And it's all the daisies are out on the grass as well, which it's I always think really looks lovely. pretty. Uh, before we let you go, Nick, uh, you've We've got, still got um, some more bikes to do. So, oh, all right, go on then, quick. Oh no, it won't be quick. Well, you've got two minutes. No, I think we're going to need to do uh, Still to Come early and then uh, do this after Still to Come. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, In which case, um, Nick, you're doing some live electric racing this weekend. No, I'm not. It's nitro racing. Oh, it's nitro. Of course, it's the Neos, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's no. I've got. I've got. There's four days of broadcasting. Thanks for it. I'm back in the shed in Telford. Me and the team uh, will be live every day from well, certainly on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Live from about eight in the morning till about six at night. Um, bringing you top quality international RC racing. And as the finals on Bank Holiday Monday, and I think certainly after the end of both the British GT and the uh, British Superbike events, um, tune in at half past five local if you're in the UK or other time zones are available to watch what will be a really good 45 minute final. A bit super Spectators. A Sunday race this week. Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you want to go, is it the Harper Adams College, which is near uh, Telford? It's the agricultural college. You can turn up and watch, and you're more than welcome. And they do have very good food there. Um, Kay and uh, Festival Pizza do a great job. And there it's a, a very thinking, nice drive out. Mm. There was me thinking that uh, Harper Adams would have uh, some lovely succulent lamb that was farmed nearby. And... <laughs> there is quite a good thing. They, they, they do get one. One of the food companies come out, advertise themselves as East Devon's best curry. We're thinking, well, you're being quite specific there, aren't you? It's just, just East Devon. West Devon's got tons of good curry, but East Devon, just those people. You need to go to Barnstable, clearly. Yes. Uh, right. All right, then. Coming up to the end of the first hour. Yes, that's just still to come. Help! I'm being held here against my will and forced to do voiceovers. Don't mind her. Still to come on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, it's Series 14, Episode 15. I'm in Sydney where the sun is just coming up over Sydney Harbour. It's absolutely beautiful. We have Shea Adam with uh, an American roundup to include... IMSA and IndyCar from the streets of Long Beach. Uh, NASCAR were racing as well at the weekend. It's the Spa 12 hours at the weekend. Uh, Boys will be on their way tomorrow. Joe, Bruce and Johnny for that. We'll have a preview of that next round of the uh, Championship of Europe for the Hancock 24-hour series, the Creventic season. Uh, More of your tweets, please, at Specutainment. But next... It is the British Superbike preview. Very excited about that. All here on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. Midweek Motorsport on RS1.
So British Superbike start the weekend, didn't he? I do. It's been six months since the end of the last season, but the wait is now over. Uh, and they're at Silverstone for the opening rounds uh, this season. Yes. You're well, right. I, you know, I just assumed they'd be at Brands Hatch. You're absolutely right. It's on the national circuit, so it's the uh, four corners of fear, isn't it? The Silverstone National. Uh, now, since last year, uh, the grid has had a massive shake-up with uh, former MotoGP contender Scott Redding and the 2018 World Superbike Independent Riders Champion Javi Foresh joining the 30-strong permanent lineup for the BYZ Ducati and Honda Racing teams, respectively, and both have a point to prove. Yeah, I'm really excited, to be honest with you. There's a lot of new faces for me, a lot of new circuits, new bikes, new tyres. Everything is just chucked me in at the deep end. But to be frankly honest with you, I enjoy that, coming to the new tracks. And like today, it's a bit cold. There's been a little bit of rain, but that's what brings character to racing for me not going to be easy there's a lot of tough competitors out there with more experience in this type of short track racing compared to me but I can't let that hold me back I need to do the work I need to do as best as I can and I just need to try to show myself and learn every time I go out on the bike so there'll be some big battles this year uh, it was like uh, longest winter of, of my life but finally, finally we are here to start the, to start the season and yeah, uh, quite happy with the job done, and uh, we were always in the in the top of the timetables, in the top three, top four, and it's there, so it's quite quite important to, to start the new challenge for me. I think the, the, the hardest part for me will be to, to understand the new tracks. Most of them are new for me, but uh, hopefully we will test uh, before each race, and uh, this this will be so much important for me to in order to to, to have a small basic in order to the BYZ Ducati team also features the only former champions on the grid with 2015 title winner Josh Brooks alongside Reading on the new Ducati V4R. The bike's sort of in its uh, infancy and uh, we're already pushing you know the front group of, uh, of riders so uh, I think as it improves and we refine um, our personal settings, we'll get quicker. Uh, at this point, it's difficult to sort of pinpoint any one specific rider. I think, um, you know, you have to use some logic and say, you know, uh, you know, my teammate certainly is uh, coming from GP. He's got a lot that he wants to prove and um, we're obviously on equal machinery. So I've got to try and uh, beat him first. At last week's final official pre-season test, though, it was the McCams Yamaha who claimed the top spot in the hands of Jason O'Halloran, and the Australian is one of nine different race winners on the BSB grid this season. Uh, everything's going well in pre-season. We've been uh, been up the sharp end and, and fitting in really well. Um, we had three days at Monteblanco, a couple of days in uh, Portimao. Uh, yeah, we, we finished up um, fastest at Portimao, which was which was nice to leave there. On top of the times, uh, but but more importantly, it was um, about being comfortable on the Yamaha, and and um, and I think we've done that. So coming back to the UK now, obviously the temperature is a lot different, um, and it's time to go racing. So uh, so yeah, we'll see where we end up here. Taman McKenzie returns as his teammate, feeling confident ahead of the new season as he heads back to Silverstone, the circuit where he scored his first podium finish in the Superbike class last year. Yeah, uh, last year I managed to get four podiums, so I never managed to get my first win, unfortunately, but um, to get a win this year would be amazing for me, and uh, I think a lot of riders' goals are to finish in the top six, try and get in the showdown, so 
Um, that would be a, a big uh, achievement for me if I could get into the top six and just try and be a bit more consistent and try and run at the front uh, in the majority of the races. When last season kicked off, it was Bradley Ray who celebrated the double victory for build-based Suzuki and the Kent contender is back with the Leicestershire-based team and ready to build on 2018 when he qualified for the showdown for the very first time. It's nice for me to, to start the 2019 championship with the same team and, and a very similar to bike, bike to what we finished uh, 2018 on. So for me, it's going to be uh, a little bit easier to start the year, um, but obviously them boys are going to be catching up quite quickly, so we're going to have to try and uh, try and knuckle down and, and get some good results at the start of the year and, and just keep pushing on. Obviously, our, our bike's still in development, so we've still got to keep working and, and improve the package, but I feel it's, uh, it's a strong package. I think we can fight, fight all year. Yeah, if we could be running around top five at the, the first round and then keep a consistent pace throughout the whole season. Um, and, and that's what we lacked last year. I mean, we, we, was, we was quick, but wasn't consistent enough to, to fight for the championship. So this year we've just got to improve the consist consistency and, uh, and yeah, work like we did last year. A further six riders have previously been showdown contenders, including Glenn Irwin, who switched to the 2018 title-winning Quattro Plant JG Speedfit Kawasaki team. He's joined by British Supersports Championship runner-up Ben Curry, the Australian one of six Superbike rookies to feature this year. Yeah, really, really happy to be back uh, you know, with the manufacturer and the brand. Um, Kawasaki have uh, always been nice bikes to ride for me and have always suited my style, so to jump in, on board the championship winning team on the new ZX10RRs, uh, the perfect kind of balance that I could hope for for this season. Yeah, I believe we've got the package that, uh, that we can do that on and I'm excited to get going. Can't single anyone out, you know, there's so many uh, have stayed in the championship that are competitive, so many that have come into it. Probably 12 guys can win the races and that's the truth, so whoever can make it the most consistent will win the championship and uh, hopefully that's something I can do. Fellow previous showdown contenders are Luke Mossy, who moved to OMG Racing Suzuki, Tommy Bridewell, who also lines up on a Ducati V4R with the Oxford Racing Ducati team, and Smith's Racing BMW duo James Ellison and Peter Hickman. BMW's had a lot of delays, which is out of their hands as well, and um, it means that uh, we're on the back foot, but uh, the Smith's Racing team have done a fantastic job over these last few weeks. We've only had the bikes. By the time we get to round one, we'll have had the bikes for only 31 days, so... Um, for them to actually turn up with two running bikes is going to be some achievement. We could roll out the, the pit lane and the bike might be really, really good straight away, or we could roll out the pit lane and it might be horrendous. <laughs> um, until we actually do that, no one, no one really knows. So um, the good news is, looking at what Tom Sykes has been doing in the World Superbike Championship, the bike looks really, really strong. You know, And again, they didn't have a lot of testing. I think they only did for like four or five days before round one. So for him to be at the front, really early on is, uh, is a really good sign. Silverstone will also mark the rise of two 2018 champions to the Superbike grid with the Superstock 1000 and 600 title winners Keith Farmer and Ryan Vickers joining BMW and Kawasaki respectively. Nick Damon, your thoughts? Um, yeah, wide open championship. Obviously what you kind of have to hope is that the, um, the, the power of the uh, Ducati V4s um, doesn't, doesn't do the same thing in BSB as it's been doing in, uh, in World Superbike and whether perhaps it just mm. is, but it just is Alvaro Bautista and, and normal riders uh, can do uh, no more than that. But uh, I think Scott Redding's an interesting, is interesting. That first comment was interesting because Scott, of course, has spent his entire career on the sort of the MotoGP world, doesn't he? And I think he ran in the Spanish feeder series when he was very young. Um, a bit like Bradley Smith, so he hasn't actually done the the UK circuit for many for many years, if at all, um, in the track, which is a remarkable thing for a British racer. Um, 
yeah, it's, it, it, it's, I think it's going to be a lot more a lot more interesting, a lot more even. Obviously, the Kawasaki team who've, who've done well in the previous years, they've lost uh, their star rider. Um, Honda have picked up a decent rider in Xavi in, in, in Flores, and you kind of hope that their bike is more competitive in BSB spec than it is in, uh, in World Superbike spec. But yeah, you, you, I think they're absolutely right. You start at the start of this race, you have this season, you've got no idea who's going who's gonna to win. Um, and it is quite a simple track to start with. So everyone can learn the silver national circuit. It's 55 seconds around, and they've got four corners. Uh, a question from me here, a serious one. I mean, we're talking about this. This is our national superbike championship. Um, we're obviously we follow world superbikes. We follow MotoGP here. Where does BSB? Where does British Superbike stand now on on the world stage in in, in terms of its um, in terms of its standing? Where 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 is it positioned? Is it one of the top national series, or is it? You know, are we talking about it purely because it's British and it's on our doorstep? What's the situation? It's, it's think, the top national series by quite a long way. For what, better than AMA? Bikes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, better AMA. For, prior, to, prior to this season, our running joke about the World Superbikes was every single... Oh, look, there's somebody who's not British in the podium. And that is because there's the feed through from the British Superbikes. Um, you know, you have got Italian superbikes that ha- hasn't tended to bring a lot through, and obviously you have the AMA, and they've been in, in a state of horrendous flux for several years. The Spanish feeder series are all based around the MotoGP route; they're not based around the superbike route. So you, you would say that there are some good feeder series in Spain, but they're looking to get you into Moto3 or Moto2. Um, mm. As far as an yeah, actual standalone series, which people go and see. This is probably the best national series, and that's not being that's not being jingoistic. I think it's just a fact, and it's proven by what it brings out, and also how great the competition is actually within the series. We need to find a freeway again and get the bikes out, mate, and get to one or two this year. I'd really enjoy that. I Nick, before right. we say goodbye to you, David Two Brews has tweeted right, okay. entertainment. Uh, DTB says, "Re Team Awful Williams, um, they need a works deal with a big OEM." That means free engines, a big cash injection, but I can't think for the life of me who that could or would be. Would would that solve their problems? Do they need a technical injection as much as they need a, a financial injection at Williams? No, what, what I believe they need is an update. They need to be updated from their model, which is still rooted in at best the early 2000s, and they need to start moving in the model that actually works in the world today of 2019, be it a Haas version or it be a Racing Point version where you get some bits off other teams and you maximize the bits you can change. Because if you're not going to have the money of the top three three manufacturers – Red Bull manufacturer, then you need to work out a way in which you can be competitive. At the moment, they're just off the back with a bat with a, with a poor business model and a a poor design team. Um, so that's the my John idea of kind of radical restart. John McCarthy said it's rather like what Alonso said about McLaren last season. They're doing times that would be barely competitive in Formula Two. I don't think it's it, it's quite that bad. But the problem being that you, none of us can see a way out of it. Um, McLaren is starting to claw their way to the top of the the pit, um, but the problem being that we none of us can see a way out of it unless there is that horrible yeah, phrase. No, I'm no, going to I, use root and branch change. I think the point you made earlier about them giving up on this season is 
yes, it's a, it, it is a valid point, but first, they actually need to know what's wrong with this year's car. What is the problem? It may be they can't fix it within the timeframes of the budget. That's not a problem, but they have to know what it is so it doesn't stay designed as the next year's car. That is actually the best point um, that you, you've made. I don't mean the rest of them weren't good, Nick. Sorry, I, that came out wrong. But <laughs> no, that, that, that is actually a very, very valid point. Nick, thanks for joining us. Speak to you next week. Uh, yep. uh, do I speak to you next week? Possibly, yes. Um, <laughs> have a good weekend and enjoy the shed at Telford. I always do. Cheers, guys. Bye. That's Nick Damon, our Formula One and motorcycle correspondent. Keep the tweets coming in at Specutainment as we go for a, a little bit of sports car news, Tim. Uh, yes. Now, if you were listening to RS3 on Saturday, uh, you'll have heard uh, two hours of radio in which uh, Bruce Jones managed to commentate on just uh, one lap around the uh, Nürburgring Nordschleife uh, because they really? reflected the same snow that uh, World Superbikes had at Assen. Uh, but uh, in, whereas at Assen they just cancelled one of three races, uh, there was only one race to cancel at the Nürburgring, and it was. Mm. Um, however, some news coming out of Aston Martin today that Which will... relates to the next round of the VLN. Yeah. Because uh, they've announced a new young driver uh, who will be making her debut for Aston Martin uh, in VLN3. No, no. She won the GT class in 2015 in the British GT for Aston Martin, and she's already driven at the Nürburgring for Aston in a GT4 yes. um, some time ago. Uh, but it was I remember her, her debut as a works Aston Martin driver. Uh, works Aston Martin, yeah. She raced my Aston GT8, don't forget, uh, last year. In, in the Kate. VLN, she'll be uh, joined by your ex-teammate as well. Peter Kate and Ross Gunn. Um, yes. Yeah. Ross Gunn was her teammate at uh, Beach D near It's a bit of a shuffle around this year for Aston. Um, uh, as... Tim rightly said, I see where he's going with that now. It was It's her first race as a factory driver. Um, she's been involved with Aston for quite some time, as we said. Um, so Peter Kate, Ross Gunn and Jamie in one of the cars. The second GT4 will have Darren Turner, Chris Harris, who is a super VLN and Nürburgring driver. He is another, like Peter Kate, actually, he's another Nordschleifer uh, expert. Chris Goodwin who's a Aston Martin GT3 Blancpain driver, and the very capable uh, German driver, Christian Gebhardt. Um, Darren Turner's are... disadvantage by not being called Chris? Yeah, well, obviously, uh, he will be Chris Turner, um, former Manchester United and Sunderland goalkeeper for the whole of the weekend. Uh, we'll be telling him, I will be telling him that. Um, the, the AMR Performance Centre are going to run Advantage GT8 as well. Um, for some customer drivers, Tony Richards coming over from uh, New Zealand and Marku Muller, I think, is in that car as well. So no GT3s for Aston at the Nürburgring and they're sort of using their factory talent in the new GT4s. And this is the new GT4, the new Vantage GT4 um, that they'll be running in that category. Um, I think when David King was on the show a couple or three weeks ago now, maybe a bit longer than that, he said there would be some changes and there'd be some exciting news. So this is no real surprise to us. What it would appear 
is that the demand for the GT3 cars is such that the priority, and rightly so, by the way, is to get the cars into customer hands so they can go and race them around the world, um, the new GT3s, that is. So rather than either having to take a couple of cars from um, from customer teams or delayed customer teams getting cars, then they've decided, and I, and I think this is smart, uh, and, and it actually has precedent as well, Tim, because in the past... Um, when they've had a new model of car, it's been the GT4 that the works have debuted first, and then they'll go on to the GT3 presumably uh, next year in a, an all-out attempt to win the race. They've been close a couple of times, and that new GT3 car, I think, is going to be a real interesting car around the Nürburgring, and can't wait to see that. But the GT4s will be tremendously competitive. We'll be there covering it uh, from... Um, Actually, we're going back in time to that because we're moving back to the original Aston Martin suite that we're in, in the TUV Tower, um, and having the balcony area of that. So really looking forward to that this year. The Nürburgring, uh, 24 hours. The qualifying race, which is a six-hour race on Sunday. Um, can't remember the date now, but check your local schedules for details. And then, of course, the week after Le Mans will be on site with a special midweek motorsport on the Wednesday. Normally, we have the Wednesday after Le Mans off, but we will have a Wednesday midweek motorsport from the Nürburgring. And then we'll be uh, heading into our uh, live and uninterrupted coverage of the ADAC 24 hours of the Nürburgring. Just finalising the team for that but it, i don't think there's going to be any major surprises there just we're going to be broadcasting from slightly higher up and with a, a fully stocked bar just around the corner which is always interesting for the overnight it's section. not a change no it is because we um the last couple of years we've been in the driver lounge ah, um, and drivers aren't allowed alcohol correct coffee and soft drinks but um but uh we I still remember the last year that we were in there, there was a, a saxophonist playing in the middle of the night as well, which was uh, tremendous fun. Anyway, that's all to come in June. Looking forward to that. And well done to Jamie Chadwick uh, for her continued rise and rise, both in single-seaters and in sports car racing. And fair play to Dave King and the man at the head of Aston Martin Racing. They've had their eye on Jamie for quite some time. In fact, if you go back through our archives, you will hear an interview that I did with Jamie at Monte Blanco. The first time I got in a GT3 car, she was there testing. And Aston have been keeping an eye on her progress since then. And uh, I think it's great that they're back in British talent, which is good news. Uh, it's Midweek Motorsport, Series uh, 14, Episode 15. Sorry, Tim, it sounded like you were going to say something there. I was, because you mentioned Monte Blanco. Um, mm. made me uh, think back to the uh, BSB drivers earlier. Not a single one mm. of them can pronounce Portimao, can they? No, indeed. Uh, and Sarah Rigby reminds me, by the way, I'm sorry, Cookie Monster, for this. Um, Alex Brundle is joining Ross Gunn, uh, Peter Kate, and Jamie Chadwick in uh, that Aston Martin GT4 as he gets a little bit of um, ring time before he races with his dad later on in the year in one of the GT4s or um, 
Martin and Alex are going to be racing together. They were testing at Silverstone together actually earlier this week. Was not that in the yesterday? GT4 car, they weren't. Were they not? Well, in the Silk Cut Jaguar, that... weren't they? Oh, the Silk Cut Jaguar was there, but they were in a Aston Martin as well. Ah. Um, I definitely saw pictures of them getting in and out of a GT4 Aston Martin. Um, I'll have I just dreamt that. Who knows? Um, you listen to Midweek Motorsport at Specutainment. Um, that's Aston Martin Racing, just especially uh, news, uh, just especially for Sarah Rigby and all the other Aston fans and everybody else. Where would you like to uh, go to next? I'd team? like to go to Japan. Um, but I'm glad I wasn't there at the weekend. Because oh. it would have been a long way to go uh, to see... A Super GT 300km race that eventually ran for about 110km, uh, most of which was behind the safety car. In that fact, was bad race, weather again, wasn't the it? The race started behind the safety car. The safety car went in at the start of lap four. Uh, then there was a pass for second place when Naoki Yamamoto uh, overtook Daiki Sasaki. And then... Uh, Kimia Sato aquaplaned out of control and the safety car came out again at the end of that lap. Um, and that's pretty much it. Mm. Um, some news coming out of that at the weekend about the combined races for DTM and Super GT and also a uh, announcement about international coverage. Obviously, we were involved along with Nissan um, right at the beginning of the international coverage and it's an absolute shame to see that having disappeared for at, at the very least the opening round of the season um, we haven't been involved for a couple of years it was uh, subsumed by a network that we don't uh, do business with and it's I'm afraid it's uh, it's, it's it's really disgraceful that uh, a championship of that international standing um, hasn't had it for the, the first race. However, that is being taken in hand, it would seem. And let's hope, for the, the sake of the championship, that that gets on. Nismo TV is no more. It's uh, It's been rebranded. And I hear um, mutterings, more than that, actually, that um, there, there's still a deal to be done. And I'll say this right now, and I know that the responsible ad adult in her omnipresent nature uh, is listening. If there is anything that we can do to make that happen, if there is anything we can do to get the word out, then clearly we've done it before. We wanted to do it and continue to do it. Um, it wasn't really our uh, decision uh, to, to take it away and put it on with someone else. If that is available, we would be happy to do that and to go back to where we were when we first started doing that. Um, it's a series that we all hold very dearly to our hearts. I thoroughly enjoyed getting up at the crack of dawn and going with Sam or Johnny to uh, to do a commentary on that, and we'd be happy to do that again. Um, we stand ready uh, by the phone or the inbox, of course, for that. Uh, it's Midweek Motorsports, Series 14, Episode 15. I'm in Sydney, where the local time is 23 minutes past six in the morning, and the sun has just poked above the uh, marine layer of cloud out towards the Tasman Sea. Meantime, 
Tim Greer is going to tell me where we're going next. I'm in London, by the way. It's uh, 2123. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shay Adam uh, is in uh, Chicago Airport. <laughs> Thank God I'm not anymore. <laughs> For a while, it looked like I was just going to have to put up a tent and move there. Who Cheer would have how thought much that Chicago would eat? be uh, en route from Long Beach to uh, Florida? <laughs> well, it wound up being a 32-hour delay between when I was supposed to get home and when I did. John, the answer to that is I only bought one small bag of cheese corn, and I have had four pieces from it, so not enough. <laughs> Garrett Popcorn, by the way, if you're ever going through either uh, Chicago um, O'Hare or now Dallas-Fort Worth as well, I believe, has uh, got a Garrett shop. The Chicago mix is my personal favourite, but it's uh, it's by no means the cheapest popcorn in the world, but my goodness, it's good. Anyway, other popcorn is available. Share you back in <laughs> Fort Lauderdale. Yes, where it is um, 16.24. So, yeah, Excellent. just... Yep, different, different uh, times, and it's presently 80 degrees Fahrenheit in the room in which I'm sitting. So nice and toasty. I am thawing out. Good. Excellent stuff. Where do you want to start with Shea then, Tim? Uh, I'm going to start with IndyCar. Oh, oh, sorry. Did you say IndyCar? (laughs) Uh, We'll come on to the uh, boring nature of it uh, a little later on. Shall we hear from the top three drivers uh, first, starting uh, with the third place driver, Scott Dixon. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's always good to be on the podium. You know we took a pretty big gamble to start on news reds, um, you know for for the initial part of the race. Uh, they were pretty good. I think I abused them a little too much. You know trying to hold the gap with with uh, Rossi, um, and you know the rears just kind of fell off and we plummeted a bit there, especially on the last sort of four or five laps. Uh, and then the crossover, we knew we were going to be in trouble, you know, just because it's a bit of a momentum track. And if you stay out longer, you're going to jump the people in front. So uh, the two Penskis jumped us. You know, I think we uh, maintained uh, the gap there, had a pretty good race with Will. Uh, he overshot one, which, you know, got us that spot. And, and then, uh, you know, we, we really just tried to hold uh, with, with Joseph there. Um, and then actually we got, I think it was Ed Jones got in between us and, and wouldn't uh, really help us there. So that gap, you know, kind of opened up. But after that, we had that, uh, I think 18 or 20 second pit stop there, which uh, you know definitely killed us. But the car was really strong on the on the new reds on the last stint. You know we were able to catch that pack and and uh, you know get Hunter Ray, and then we had the fight there with with Graham, and and um, you know ultimately ended up on the podium. Uh, second place was Joseph Newgarten. You know I think we're slowly chipping away at things, trying to find out you know how to how to how to have a good street course car, how to have a good road course car. We're going to find out where we're at next month in the ovals, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, I think the guys are doing a great job. Today was, um, you know, really a, a nice race, really, really well executed. I thought by the boys, they did a good job. And uh, you know, we'll take a P2. Alex was too quick today, I think. You know, him and Andretti did a great job. So congrats to them for the win. Um, just a little short, so we'll try and find that performance uh, for the next race. And the winner for the second year in a row was Alex Rossi. Winning the pole, um, you know, is is huge uh, come Sunday because it allows you to to hopefully be in front, leaving turn one and and really just control the race from there, and you can run your own strategy and your own pace and, and really dictate um, what the rest of the field does. So we were able to do that, and obviously can't do it without uh, a fantastic crew, car, um, no mistakes, great great strategy all day from Rob. And, um, yeah, it's awesome to be able to to really, I think, kickstart um, our year. Uh, we've had you know good pace, but just haven't had the results. So this is what we've been looking for. 
So as uh, Alex Rossi alluded to, uh, pole is crucial. And as Shay Adam uh, alluded to, it wasn't the most exciting IndyCar race we've ever seen, was it? No, no, it was it was pretty cut and dry from the start. Um, Alexander Rossi positively demolished the competition. It was the largest margin of victory since 2009 when Scott Dixon at Mid-Ohio won by 29 seconds. Rossi had a 20-second gap over the rest of the field. And as we heard from Scott Dixon, a blown pit stop really took him out of it. But the problem that IndyCar has right now is the fact that there hasn't been an on-track pass for the lead since St. Petersburg. So that was three races ago now. That's not great in terms of their racing when they're trying to promote that they're the greatest race in North America. And with uh, the month of May coming up and all the Indy 500 hype, they don't exactly have the big momentum on their side. And in fairness, though, Shea, the tracks have played a part uh, from that. Um, St. Pete's, although it's a, a, race, uh, a race around the streets, in inverted commas, actually is far more like a... A, race, a standard race track than, than most straight tracks. Long Beach isn't, particularly for Indy cars. It's difficult to pass. Barber actually is difficult to pass uh, as at as as well. You know, I, I think we can forgive them a couple of races um, where things perhaps haven't been quite as exciting at the front of the field. There's still been plenty of battling going on through the field, but this weekend gone. I mean, I looked at the stats. Rossi, he was just on. It was almost like he was in a separate class to the rest yeah. of the of the of the field, and you know, Dixie was there or thereabouts until that problem at the fuel stop. But you know, twenty seconds down the road, good news for Giorgio in second. Joseph Newgarden, though, I mean, he holds on to his championship lead. That's important at this time of the year. Very much so, and particularly coming into Indianapolis, where that's a track that's not exactly been kind to him over the past. That's the big glaring omission from his resume. He doesn't have the Indy 500 win. It's a very strong track for Penske. Looking forward into May, the next race, which will be the Indianapolis Grand Prix, the road course circuit, they're gaining another car because Elio comes back. So May is going to be very important for Penske. Uh, after the race, uh, the uh, drivers were asked uh, what could be done to make Long Beach more exciting. Here's what they had to say. Yeah, this is a this is a honestly a very straightforward race. Um, you know, maybe it, maybe it needs a small adjustment. Uh, the tires are pretty friendly here. Um, you know, it's a pretty simple two stop. So you know, all that added together, you're not going to get uh, as much action as you get at other tracks. Um, so, yeah, maybe there's there's a little bit of room to, to think about it. But I think it's just because it's such a straightforward race. There's not a lot you can really do strategy-wise to mix it up that's effective. Um, so I think that's why it produces what it did. Yeah, I think it almost needs, needs to be a longer race. I think the IndyCar were trying to make it a longer race, but they kind of got turned down on that effect. So um, it is an easy two-stopper for everybody. Um, so it makes it pretty bland. Um, and yeah, both both tyres are good. You know, I think you see a little bit of you know a little more, little more dig on on the reds if you use a you know a U set. But you know, all in all, they they make the you know the thirty laps if you need to get them pretty easy. Because that was uh, Joseph Newgarten and Scott Dixon talking about Long Beach. Uh, there was something significant at the weekend with Alexander Rossi winning. That was a milestone for the Andretti Racing Organisation, Mike Landretti's 200th win as a team owner. 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's exciting. You know, I'm, uh, I'm so proud of uh, what we've been able to accomplish in, I think, a short period of time to get to 200. And, you know, we've had so many great uh, people help get us there. You know, I was just told we had 38 driver, different drivers that won for us over the years to get us to this point. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great feeling. I'm just so happy for, for the whole team because uh, they've earned it. And uh, to do it here in Long Beach even makes it that much more special because Long Beach has always been a special place for all of us, the Andretti family. And, uh, you know, for me, I won my very first race here and my very last race uh, here. So, uh, you know, it's very special, and I was really happy we were able to get it done here. You know, I was getting close to the end of my driving career, and, you know, I'm starting to look at, okay, what am I going to do beyond driving? And, and uh, you know, I love racing. It's been my whole life, and, uh, you know, I thought that, you know, one of the things I liked was the business side of the racing. I always did, even when I was a driver. Um, you know, I was always involved with guys like Carl and things like that, with setting the team up, and... And, and so, um, you know, I just, uh, at that point, though, I just know if the, the opportunity would ever come up to do it, you know, because it's trying to find the right team and being able to do it where you can afford to do it and things like that. And I was very lucky that, uh, you know, I was driving for Barry Green, and he was at a point in his career where he was ready to, to get out, and he had a great team that was under him, and, and uh, he gave us a really good deal to come in and, and purchase a team. And, you know, it's, uh, did I ever expect to be, you know, at 200 wins at, uh, you know, over, I don't know how many years it's been, 15 or whatever? Uh, no. I mean, I think uh, I didn't know what to expect, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of hard work. Uh, it's definitely different being on this side of it, you know, being an owner over a driver, but, uh, you know, it's got its challenges, but it's also has its rewards, and, and uh, you know, for me, it, it still gives me a reason to get up in the morning, you know, and it's, it, it's always a challenge or something new and something you have to deal with every day, and, uh, you know, I like challenges. That's uh, Michael Andretti on the occasion of the 200th win, his 200th win as a team owner. He's, uh, he's about four or five days older than me. He's done far more in his lifetime than I have. Good good for him. Uh, Shea Adam is on the line from Fort Lauderdale. Just got me thinking, listening to that, Shea, that we've had quite a lot of milestone numbers for some of the big names in American racing. Chip Ganassi uh, clicked over um, a big milestone uh, earlier on this year. Back end of last year, we had Penske doing his 500 millionth win in all competitions, <laughs> etc. Et, et Th those teams, Penske, Ganassi, Andretti, powerhouses of American motorsport across quite often multiple disciplines, and and they've they have been they have been dominant forces. For sure. Uh, and the interesting thing about the Andretti family, as opposed to Ganassi and Penske, is that Andretti is really the only American name that sort of filters out through our culture that people of my grandparents' generation and my parents' generation even grew up hearing about, oh, you want to be fast, you want to be a Mario Andretti. Sure, there's yeah. Dale Earnhardt that everybody knows about, but it's Mario Andretti that, that sort of goes beyond just being a a racing legend and, and comes into the American sort of the ethos that is the American culture. Um, so you, you really find when something like Michael Andretti's team coming home with the 200th win, that's the sort of thing that gets on the nightly news and people actually yes. realize the relevance. Yes. Yeah. Good, good point. The, my reason for 
mentioning that is because there's been a relatively speaking a status quo in American racing for quite some time. We haven't had another team franchise whatever breakthrough to the same extent of those big names that we've just been talking about. But I just wonder whether the next one is Bobby Rahal's team, Rahal Letterman Lanigan. Um, already won in all of the disciplines that they take play, part in uh, this year. And whilst it's a, a far younger operation, they are like Penske uh, and like Ganassi and to a certain extent like Andretti, who do things like um, Global Rallycross and have done in the past and, and sports car racing. Um, RLL have spread themselves across a number of different disciplines. And from everything I hear about Bobby's organisation, it is set up in a very similar way to those big powerhouses. Are they the next big force? I think they will outlast some of the big the big three, mm, but it, it is the big three. Um, it's not going to be the big four. I feel like some of the magic sort of wears off when you do that. But uh, to be honest, John, I don't think of Team RLL as anything less than Penske, Ganassi, or Andretti. I, I think they're right there. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, great to see those those big names doing well. Congratulations to Michael on his 203 and to Rossi. They're headed to Indianapolis for the month of May. Uh, IndyCar, Verizon. Uh, so, see, there we go. Uh, oh, NTT, IndyCar. Yeah, sorry. Uh, NTT, IndyCar series. I see it was so seamless, uh, the changeover that I, I, I you know. And uh, NTT IndyCar Series uh, with the month of May, and they're on the Grand Prix circuit, the road circuit, uh, for their next event as they build up to the 103rd Indianapolis 500 continues. But before we leave uh, IndyCar, Tim Gray has an op-ed. Marshall Pruitt tweeted a photo of Roger Penske and Chip Ganassi sharing a scooter yes, at the weekend. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. My favourite my favorite caption for that was whoever put the great escape. I think that was brilliant. Won the internet for me, that. It's not the only thing that Penske and Ganassi have been sharing this week, though. Really? They both share the opinion that full-season IndyCar entrants should be guaranteed starting places in the Indy 500. And they're both wrong. The Indy 500 is bigger than the championship and the qualifying format and bump day is part of that race. Ganassi told a press conference, I can appreciate fans who want it to be open. I think there should be some space to enter if you show up to have a real shot at entering the race. But having said that, I can make an argument that at Indy, you have that opportunity with 33 spots and only 24 or 25 full-time entries. I think that's plenty of room. Well, Chip may have forgotten this, but 23 years ago, IndyCar actually tried this. It was called the 25-8 rule and was universally unpopular. In fact, a number of teams boycotted the 1996 Indy 500 because of it. Among them, Chip Ganassi Racing with Alex Zanardi and Jimmy Vassar and Team Penske with Paul Tracy and Alonso Jr. Roger Penske was talking to Jim Aiello in the Indianapolis Star Uh, He said, I think a full-time team that starts day one and runs a full-season commitments have to be locked in. This isn't up to the teams. I think it's up to the people who run the series. They have to understand the impact. The same people they're calling on to support the TV package and everything to race the next week. If their car doesn't make the Indy 500, it's a ricochet that affects the whole season. I hope they understand that. You have to step back and do what's best for the series and take the individual egos out of it and make the right decision. 
the drivers who eventually did fight it out for the eight available slots in 1996 wouldn't have appeared out of place in a round of Call My Huff, given how unknown they are. Randy Toysma, Paul Durant, Joe Gosek. There were three finishers in the 1996 Indy 500. So my message to Chip and Roger is this. If you think your full-season drivers can't achieve a better four-lap average in a month's time than someone who hasn't already done four full race weekends this season in what is essentially a spec series, you've picked the wrong full-season drivers. (laughs) Uh, I... I I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I see both sides of this story, and I'll tell you why. This is very similar to the discussion that we had a few weeks ago on this programme about Le Mans and Le Mans being part of a championship. The issue is, being part of a championship, you have, I think, a responsibility to support the people who support the championship for the whole year. Now, it's slightly different at Indianapolis than it is at Le Mans because at Le Mans... There are other series around the world running to the same regulations and running the same cars, whereas at Indianapolis, there aren't. So I accept that straight away. But you do have to be careful. Um, uh, Schmidt-Peterson last year, their whole year was ruined by them not qualifying Hinch's car for the Indy 500. And... Uh, yeah, okay, they didn't do a good enough job. Um, There's a school of thought that says the big teams could always buy their way in if they wanted to. Um, They didn't do that. I think there's enough difference. Somebody said on Twitter about this during the week, and I've mentioned the difference between Le Mans and Le Mans having the same cars racing in other series, which Indy cars don't. Um, I'm a strong believer that if you're going to have Le Mans as a championship round, then you have to give the championship runners, particularly when it's the final round of the year, you have to give the championship runners an automatic invitation. But with Indy, it is slightly different, and I take everyone's point on on that. Um, and I think Tim's point about having the better drivers is absolutely, uh, absolutely correct uh, as well. I've seen some people comparing it to some of the top club, clubs in the English Premier League saying... Um, once you qualify for the Champions League, you should always be in the Champions League. It's not like that at all. It really isn't like that at all. That's just money-grabbing nonsense. And whilst I understand what Chip and Roger are saying, and would I ever um, gain say normally what Mr Penske or Mr Ganassi says, probably not when it comes to racing. Ultimately, um, they're looking for stability across the season for their sponsors and for the Championship. I understand that. But I'm with Tim and I'm with Brian Till and I'm with uh, Townsend Bell and everybody else who says, no, 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 Indianapolis, it's different enough that you should have to go out there and respect the race. And if you can't get it, hey, if if it's if it's that important, if it's really that important to have it different, then take it out of the championship, take it out of the championship. Or have it yep. score the same points as the rest of the championship and have everybody be allowed to drop one championship score if it's that important. Share American perspective on this. Uh, I completely agree. It's not a right. It's a privilege to be able to race in the Indianapolis 500. Um, but I also agree with you. Take it out of the championship. Make it that you don't score points. They've made it in recent years that you score points for your qualifying position even. But if you remove the factor that it is a championship race and that it is the greatest, whatever they call it, greatest spectacle in racing, 
then treat it as such. Don't put it with such importance that it results mm-hmm. in James Hinchcliffe coming in 10th in the championship or wherever he was last year. It, it really hurts going forward. So I, I agree, John. I think if you take the points out of it, it makes it a much better race. It's not as if it'll diminish that individual event because no. what you, you'll then do is you'll have people doing one-off deals just for the Indianapolis 500 and trying to qualify. I, I you know, anyway, um, Tim, good uh, op-ed there, good uh, editorial, love that. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsports. Your th- thought on that, please. Midweek Motorsport series 15 episode, sorry, series 14 episode 15. I am on the other side of the world. Um, you are upside and down. <laughs> yes it's very <laughs> odd when the stars aren't where you expect them to be I, I, I've right? noticed that every night when I've been sitting well they're oh, all upside down I, all the I constellations all those weeks in South Africa a few years ago and it, every night I thought I can't cope with this because it was clear nights not a cloud in the sky and I'm thinking exactly what's that why is that, <laughs> exactly. why is that upside down why is the moon that shape Yes, exactly. It's a, it's a very bright moon. It's a very, very bright moon as well at the moment down here. Um, let's stay with American Motorsport. In fact, we'll stay on the streets of Long Beach if we may. Shea, you, I and Jeremy Shaw were witness to an extraordinary IMSA race. You can say what you want yeah. about the IndyCar race, but uh, IMSA once again delivered on the streets of, of Long Beach. Uh, as usual, uh, an unorthodox uh, timetable for the IMSA competitors that saw them out at half past seven for a two-hour practice and then not back till late afternoon for qualifying, in for a half-past nine uh, autograph session and then not racing until later in the afternoon. Um, driver of the day, spirit of the race, had to go to the man who'd been under the surgeon's knife or on the Monday before the race. Yeah. Did you see Jordan Taylor's tweet, by the way, about that? The, about the doctor saying, oh, you're not going to be able to race. And Jordan's response is, hold my appendix. It was really a fantastic effort. Uh, poor Jordan. Um, ultimately, it was a mistake on the part of Ranger Van de Zanda. He put his hand up. He owned up to it, said it was just one of those things that happened. It was all oh, really? his fault. Yeah, which is because, really because impressive. Because we wondered, didn't we? Yeah, we wondered if there'd, there'd been um, some residual damage from the the early contact there. Yeah, he said it was just going a little bit too break, uh, late, locking up the brakes and winding up in the wall. So uh, very unfortunate day. But ultimately what it resulted in, John, was because both of the championship leading cars that were tied coming into the race, both of them had bad days. The 10 getting a DNF and the 31 of uh, Philippe Nazir and Pippo Durrani finishing way down in the field. I think they were sixth or seventh off the top of my head. It brings the rest of the field a little bit closer into play. And looking at the points now, the top four are all within four points of one another. So you've got the uh, Whalen Engineering Cadillac ahead of the number seven Penske Acura. That's Elio and Ricky. And then one point further back is the race winners from this weekend, the five, uh, the other Action Express car, and then the 10 of Ranger and Jordan. So it's really interesting. But the big thing that sticks out to me looking back at it now a couple days on, Cadillac has won three in a row, but they have not yet gotten a pole position. They are not the fastest cars out on track, but they have won because of brilliant strategy. And the five guys were walking around the, excuse me, the Mustang sampling guys. I can't say five guys or else it makes me think of hamburgers. They were walking around after the race going, how did we do that? That should not have happened. Philippe Albuquerque through traffic 
oh my goodness, no, the was, man is stunning. a magician. No, I, I, there was two things for me that stood out with that race for the number five Mustang sampling Cadillac crew was their timing of their pit stop and they sneaked ahead of everybody else. All, I mean, the car is stealthy enough in that dark grey colour, but almost unnoticed by everybody else up and down the pit lane. You know, um, we were thinking, what's going to happen? Can the Mazda get out? Uh, can Ollie Jarvis get out in front of the two uh, Acura Penske's? That's the battle for the lit. No, hang on a minute. The five's already up the road. And it, yeah. was, it was brilliant. That was brilliant with what they did there. Um, uh, they gave them a long run towards the end of the race and they covered themselves, even if there had been um, late race yellows. They were they were going to be there or thereabouts, although who knows how their tyres would have hung out. But hey, a win's a win. But you hit it on the nail on the head there. The way that Philip Albuquerque um, managed the traffic, and I don't just mean how he went past traffic, how decisive he was, where yeah. he chose to go past traffic. You could almost see him lining up when he knew he had cars ahead of him from maybe two, three, four corners back, just just changing his pace, slowing down a little bit, speeding up a little bit to make sure that he caught the car that he was about to make the pass on, possibly a different class of car as well, but he caught it in a place on the track where he could make the pass relatively easy without losing any momentum coming out of the corner, which is where the Cadillac had the strength over the chasing pack. And if possible, to put a car between himself and the guys that were chasing him down. I thought it was genius strategy. There's no doubt he was doing that. If you watched his lap times, they were all over the place. They were all over the place. But that wasn't because he was being inconsistent. That was because he was planning and screaming and strategizing with the guys on the wall. Who's in that car ahead? When am I going to catch them? Where do I need to catch them? He delivered. The team delivered. That is the absolute dictionary, racing dictionary definition of a team performance. Brilliant stuff. Absolutely and, deserved it. And just before we jump on to GTLM, John, keep in mind who was chasing down Albuquerque. It was Ricky yeah. Taylor. Go back and look yeah. at what happened at Daytona in 2017. There is no love lost between those two guys. Massive amount of respect for one another. But Philippe did not want to give Ricky the opportunity to catch him, hit him, pass him, whatever. Mm. Um, and GT Le Mans, uh, well, that kept us interested as well. Uh, maybe a bit of racing karma and payback for, uh, particularly for Earl Bamber in the 912, who let's let's not forget was leading the race um, yeah. a year ago, and under a safety car had a bizarre. Um, suspension failure which took them out of it the 911 Nick Tandy with an awesome pole lap um, they didn't get the rub of the green in fact neither of the Porsches really got the rub of the green both had damage um, how Bambi got that car to the end I, I still don't know because that car must have been handling awfully with the rear um, <laughs> under deck the diffuser there just about hanging off the car they did think about bringing it in at one stage but then I think rightly thought well it'll either fall off um, or we'll get caught, but if we bring it in, we've thrown away a potential victory or a podium. Um, behind them, plenty of action, and Dirk Muller, possibly one of the unluckiest guys, didn't have his uh, didn't have his regular teammate in Joy Hand. Hopefully, Joy is recovering from the, that flu uh, virus or whatever it was that kept him away. They were the first ones to make their last pit stop, and I remember saying it to Jeremy, 67 minutes. I don't think they can go from there. I thought they were two or three laps short. They were actually half a lap short. 
yeah, the irony is if they'd come in with the minutes remaining as the number on their car, they would have made it. So you had uh, Dirk Mueller ultimately not finishing the race. But the way that the points look coming out of Long Beach is so interesting because it's a four-point advantage for Larry and Bam Bam over their teammates who are tied with Magnuson and Garcia. And then it's a three-point further back gap to Dirk Mueller. Ultimately, there's a 12-point swing on any GTLM weekend when we have eight cars going in. So it's going to be very important to set the tone properly when we get there. But we'll talk about that coming up in a few weeks. The big thing to pay attention, though, is the Manufacturers Championship, which is what all of them look at. There's only a seven-point swing available on any given weekend when we don't have Ferrari running, which is every weekend except Daytona. Porsche has a nine-point lead over BMW going into mid-Ohio, so that means that they will be leading GTLM going into the Le Mans break, regardless of what happens in yeah. Ohio in a couple of weeks' time. And speaking of Ohio, there have been a lot of cars up there testing. We've had the 33 Mercedes, the 12 and the 14 Lexuses, the 19 Audi, but most importantly, the 76 McLaren. That's the Compass racing car. They went through and did a shakedown Yay. to figure out that car. There have been a lot of GT3 and LMP3 cars testing too, but they don't have to declare, so we don't know who was up and around. But one car that was declared to be out for testing that will not be running for the rest of the year, P1 Motorsports. They've announced an end to their racing for this year, citing a back injury for team owner JC Perez. They've listed all three of their Mercedes up for sale, so they will not be back this year. Wow. Yep. Um We'll do NASCAR in a moment, but just I just want to drop back to the Indy 500, Penske and Chip Ganassi comments about automatic entries. Uh, Paul Sharp has tweeted in at Specutainment and makes actually sums it up. Whatever else all of us have said, this is how it sums it up. He says the difference for Indy 500 to Le Mans entry list, everyone gets to go to the 500 if they want to. Then if they aren't good enough or fast enough to qualify, tough luck. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely right, Paul. Couldn't agree more. Uh, let's move on to uh, NASCAR. Mid-Ohio, by the way, for IMSA is uh, just the GT classes. Uh, no, no, I'm talking completely. No, it's everybody. Mid-Ohio is everybody back together again um, and a full programme. And, of course, Shea Jeremy and I will be uh, covering that for you. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, where were NASCAR at the weekend? Richmond. They were at the short track. And it wound up being a pretty cool weekend. It was a Saturday race. Saturday night short track racing can't beat it. Uh, how did it go? Which of the series were there? Just the, Was it just the top two series? Yeah, were the trucks there as well? Monster and Xfinity were the two that were there. Um, Xfinity right. was one, not by Kyle Busch because he wasn't running in it. <laughs> uh, so giving somebody else a chance. Austin Sindrick finished second in that race, and that's mm. important, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But Cole Custer managed to win. He took ah. home the $100,000 prize in the Dash 4 cash, which is still available for the next two rounds, which is Talladega and Dover. I tried to figure out how they decide how this works. It's really, really complicated, even by NASCAR <laughs> standards. But basically, the top four regular season finishers the week before can then be eligible for the dash for cash if they go on and win the race. So last week, Christopher Bell won. This week, Cole Custer won because they were in the top four regular season. It's all convoluted. But in any case, congrats, Cole Custer. He won an extra $100,000. 
and of course, Cole's been doing double duty in one of the. He's one of the development drivers who's been doing double duty in the Michelin Pilot Challenge as well, driving uh, the Mustang. So um, good to see him having some good news. You mentioned Austin Sindrick coming second. Why was that important? Well, because with Joey Logano finishing second in the Monster Energy Cup race, and by the way, he didn't get close enough to the winner, so we didn't get to see any sort of rivalry come up. Austin Sindrick was second in the Xfinity race. Ricky and Elio were second in the IMSA race. Joseph Newgarden was second in the IndyCar race. Joey, we mentioned Monster, was second. Fabian Coulthard was second in the first round of the Virgin Australian Supercars. And Scotty McLaughlin was second in the second Supercars race. That means that in the six wide that Mr. Penske had running across the weekend, not paying attention to all the other results, he had a driver finish second in every single race. Wow. Yeah, just one impressive. stop off the one stop off the top step, and yep. where? Hang on, where who won the Monster Energy race? Oh yes, yes, yes. Finally, sorry. finally, 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 Martin Truex Jr. gets his first short track win in 81 attempts. It also breaks his winless streak going back to last year. It's the first win that he's gotten for Joe Gibbs Racing, and the team's sixth win out of nine races this year. Uh, and that means a, another person qualified to the playoffs then? Yep. Good. Let's hear from Joe Gibbs. Sometimes you in pro sports, you know, you get on a roll, things go well. For instance, last week, you know, we didn't have the best car. Everybody here knows that, you know. The two Fords are better than us, and that pit, that pit stop just worked out perfectly for us, and we got Kyle out front. But I, I think that's the reason why you need to enjoy it in pro sports because you know it's not going <laughs> to – odds are this ain't going to keep happening. But we, we – there are times when teams get on a run and a roll, and I appreciate our guys. And certainly getting Cole and Martin on board with a win is a huge deal for us, and I know it's a huge deal for Toyota. But I also know it's very hard in pro sports to stay up there. And we're just getting going in the season, but we're going to work hard at it. But it's a hard thing to do. Coach Joe Gibbs there, uh, speaking after the race win at the weekend. Anything else from that, Tim, that you want to bring up? Uh, From NASCAR, uh, there's a big NASCAR announcement tonight because the format for this is All-Star Race is going to be announced in about an hour's time. Uh, Oh, really? For all? We haven't been told in advance what it's going to be, so we can't ruin that for Fox Sports 1. Apparently, Chip Ganassi and Roger Penske want all of their drivers in automatically every year. I've just heard that. (laughs) Uh, And because it was a Saturday race uh, in the Monster Energy Cup Series this week, that meant the drivers were free on Sunday. So what did Jimmy Johnson do with his day? He found another finish line to cross. Uh, Yes, uh, in Boston. He did the Boston Marathon. He had to run a really, really, really long way to get there first, and then he had to run. No, he uh, he actually ran the Boston Marathon in just over three hours. I think it was three hours and eight minutes, which makes him the fastest uh, Daytona 500 winner to ever complete a marathon, beating Jamie (laughs) McMurray's time. That's actually a pretty good time. I'm I'm very impressed with that. Ollie Gavin would uh, would be giving him a more than giving him a run for his his money, but uh, and one or two of the other. sports car drivers that we know run for the BRDC in the London Marathon. But fair play to Jimmy for doing that. I, I did uh, I did see 
some of his tweets saying it's the hardest thing he's ever trained for, hardest thing he's ever done. Um, so I'm not sure if that's going to be a, a regular thing, but uh, good good stuff from that. Where's the next uh, NASCAR weekend, Chip? Uh, it's Easter break this weekend, and then they don't get another break until Lamar weekend, so they get a nice long stretch of things going on, but they go to Talladega after this week. Ooh, okay, Talladega, the big uh, the big one at Talladega. That's what everybody talks about there. Another big super speedway. So not this weekend, but next weekend for that. And unless you say otherwise, Tim, I think that's about all we've got time for. That's all we have time for. I thought you might say that. Thanks to Shea and to Nick for joining us on the show tonight. Tim Gray has done great work collecting all of the quotes from drivers and riders. Thanks to you for your tweets. Keep them coming in about uh, the new Le Mans pit lane, about automatic entries for the 500. I think we know which way that part of that one is going to go. And indeed, anything else, because it'll keep me interested uh, during the week before we come back next week on RS1 at 8 o'clock. Lots to go on this weekend live. Live coverage from Spa with the Creventic 12-hour. Johnny Palmer, Joe Bradley and oh, Bruce Jones. that, didn't we? Look, we did. It, it's uh, happening Johnny this weekend. Did. It's happening this weekend. Uh, also, Paul Trustwell joining the boys over there as well. That is Friday and Saturday for that. Friday and Saturday for those races. Check RS. Is that on RS1, Tim? It should be, shouldn't it? Uh, Creventic on RS1, yes. Bathurst yeah, on cr- RS3? Three. Is that also on RS1? Oh, that uh, probably also on RS1 because there's no overlap. Right, the high the high tech oils Bathurst six hours this weekend as well. Sound and vision from both of those. No breaks, no blocks. Full inter- uninterrupted coverage. And by the way, if you're here in Australia and watching the high tech oils uh, Bathurst six hours on Fox, guaranteed no breaks during racing. Only during yellow flags. No breaks during. Uh, green flag racing this weekend on Fox. Uh, Krilsey joining me uh, and the rest of the team for that. And we will have a preview of that before the action starts. Uh, that's it. See you next week or across the weekend. And have a great motorsport week before we're back with episode 16 next week at the same time. Bye-bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.